As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Because a, a, a part of this is really my own journey of, of seeing desire or hope deferred in, in many ways. And, you know, is that big enough for y'all? Let me make sure you're good here on the screen. Is that okay? Okay. And I will scroll up, so. Let me pray. So, Father, I just thank you, and I ask that you bless your word right now. The Holy Spirit, I ask that you would clothe yourself with me, that I would move out of the way. Father, that your heart would be released into this place. Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Lord, illuminate the very core of our being. Illuminate our hearts, Lord. Enlarge our spirit so that we can have more of yours, Lord, that we can host more of your presence in Jesus' mighty name. So, uh, a little backstory to this. Um, I did grow up in Illinois and I got out of there as fast as I could, so y'all are stuck with me. And, uh, and, and if I never told you that, I don't think many of you would know that I was from Illinois. At least, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that, because when I go back there, people ask me where I'm from. So, so something has changed in the midst of that. Um, but part of my testimony is I wasn't necessarily raised um, in a Christian home. We, we didn't attend church, and, and um, I battled uh, a lot of misunderstanding because... I had a sensitivity to the spiritual realm that I didn't understand and, and 
My family didn't. My grandparents thought I had a vivid imagination. And my, um, my, my parents actually divorced uh, shortly after I was born. They separated while my mom was pregnant with me. And I would call my mom at times because of this inner healing journey and, and making sure iniquities dealt with in the bloodline and stuff. I'll get revelation and I'll call her and I'll go, Mom, sorry, but I've got another strange question for you. Because it's not, you know, I'll, I'll start talk. I've talked to her in the past about, um, like this, I didn't, this was fresh revelation, for example. Um, I had received healing in around, surrounded around my birth. There, there was trauma, and when I went back to that place, I knew my dad wasn't there when I was born. No one ever told me, but I knew it by revelation of the Lord. And I actually had it confirmed oh, this past week that he wasn't there because what happened was in this experience with the Lord, Jesus showed up, and, and I knew that he was there to step in the gap on behalf of my dad at birth. And so there, if, if we don't get these things spiritually, we're going to walk around with um, hooks or, or um, kind of a, a crutch. And we'll never quite be able to pinpoint where these crutches are. And it will cause cycles of defeat that you'll never get over if you don't understand. It says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. You all follow me? And so... One of the things I believe wholeheartedly that the Lord's doing in this hour is He's getting us back to first century church. He's getting us back to a biblical understanding of what things are supposed to look like so that we begin to look and function like the book of Acts. We need to get back there before we go beyond that. Jesus said, the things I do, you will do in greater because I return to the Father. But the truth is, at least in our culture, We'll, we, are, we are completely, wholeheartedly trying to get back to the things that Jesus did with the consistency and the flow of, of when he did that. See, Jesus didn't visit healing. He didn't visit uh, this place of, of miracles and signs and wonders. He lived there. It was a habitation, right? It, it wasn't visitation. It was habitation. And we are trying to become a company of people where the Holy Spirit is inhabiting our bodies all the time. Where we're not hindering Him. Where we're not quenching Him. We're not grieving Him. We're not lying to Him. Because these are things that we can do with the Holy Spirit. And He doesn't leave, but that, that conscious understanding of His presence diminishes. He's always there because Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. But how do you know when, when God's tangible presence comes into the place and begins to rest upon you that it's different? And that's when His Spirit touches our spirit and we're changed. In order to live a life that justifies Him to interact more frequently on that level then we need to be in alignment with Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And it comes with a promise. And I will manifest myself to you. So if you want to live a spiritual life that justifies God to interact with you in those ways more frequently, then you have to live a life of repentance and pursuing his righteousness, pursuing his kingdom. Because these are the things that align us with the heart of the Father. 
We were justified when we stepped into Christ, and now we're walking that out, which is called sanctification. And there's been a miss, a huge misunderstanding in the church between justification and sanctification. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why we're battling with this, is, this issue of hyper-grace today, where people think you no longer need to repent of your sin because Jesus died for it all, and when you step into Christ, it was done. Right? So, in this issue of desire and hope, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Proverbs 13.12, we all know this scripture, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Every one of you are in process in some area of your life right now in this moment. Every one of you are. You're, you're hoping for the fulfillment of something that's been promised to you in your life, right? None, and we're always going to be in that place where if we just step into fulfillment, then we will... Seriously? Did, did y'all see her painting with the heartbeat? The heart... That just brings confirmation to me that, because she had no idea what I was going to talk on, and we're, and we're going to be dealing, uh, yeah, well, sorry, I just now looked over, y'all are like, well, what's he looking at? <clears throat> it says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. May he grant you according to your heart's desire, and fulfill all your purpose, and I will shape all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Proverbs 13.12, Psalm 37.4, Psalm 20, verse 4, and Haggai 2.7. Those are the main scriptures that we're going to dig in a little bit more. Desires can come from the soul or the spirit. And I think one of the things that trips us up is that we're still figuring this issue of soul and spirit out. And many times we'll have a desire of our heart that we're absolutely convinced is spirit, that is a desire of the Lord. And it isn't always a desire of the Lord, it's just a simple desire. And you can have desires in your heart that aren't bad, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's God's will. Right? It says many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's will that prevails. And so we're constantly in this divine tug of war trying to figure out, is this God or is this me? Is this good from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or is this the Lord? Is this the tree of life? And there's always that tension. There's always that, that tension between our soul and our spirit. And there's a Hebrew word that's only mentioned twice of all of Scripture and it's found in Psalms 51.6. And Job 38. And, and it's translated the inward part. But what's interesting about this Hebrew word, which we'll actually see this same principle in the Greek in a little bit, is that it literally means the seat. It literally means the seat of the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, right? And I believe that this Hebrew word is different than the other Hebrew words for one reason. Because... 
Though we are three parts, spirit, soul, and body, we are still one, right? And in this arena of spiritual matter, in that place, in the inward part, no one knows the mystery where the soul, where the line of the soul and the spirit is. Does does that make sense to y'all? It's kind of like the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. There's not a theologian on this earth that can tell you where that line crosses. It's like a, a set of railroad tracks. And you have God's sovereignty, you have the free will of man, and somewhere in the midst of this, they meet. And we don't understand all the mystery of how God does not violate our will, but yet is still sovereign. Y'all hanging in with it? Get your knife, get your fork, let's dig the meat. Let me know if I start taking off and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. So hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. In Psalms 37.4, the Hebrew word for desires is mishala, or mishala. Do you like that? It means request or petition. So desire in the Hebrew, it has to do with we're petitioning God, right? Because we're only going to petition Him for what we desire for Him to fulfill. Does that make sense? We're going we're gonna to petition, we're going to petition. We, what did Jesus say? Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Why? And, and He says, lest we grow weary, He gives us a parable, and that parable tells us about the Father's heart. And the parable is about the, 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 the lady who keeps petitioning the judge over and over and over and over for justice. And the judge is like, look, I don't fear God, and I, you're really getting on my nerves, but you're wearing me out, so here you go. You have your petition. And Jesus gives this parable and says, look, if this judge who doesn't even fear God will give a woman her desire, and he doesn't fear God, and he doesn't even give a flying flip about her, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you your answers? So we're not supposed to be petitioning the Father without hope. But too many times, we throw our hope away because we buy into the lies of the enemy that it's never going to pass, right? Zechariah says, though it tarries, wait for it. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will surely happen. This is a rigged deal. Jesus, when he said it was finished, like he really meant it's finished. So we're not fighting to get into a place of freedom We're fighting to break the deception off of our minds so that we understand we are free already in Christ so that what took place at justification manifests on the earth and we become a portal for heaven. This is what we've got to get. We're not fighting for it. We've already got it. It's the lies and the deception day in and day out that pound our mind that bring oppression and torment on the mind. We've We've got to get back to these places. Jeremiah said, cry out for the ancient path. We need with every fiber of our being to cry out for the ancient path. Hope plus trust equals faith. Hope plus trust equals faith. You're not going to have a whole lot of faith if you don't trust God. And if you don't have hope in God, you're not going to have a whole lot of trust. Because you got to hope that he's going to bring about what he says. And the enemy's going to be there the whole time accusing. Because where's he at right now? It says that he stands before the throne 
of God day in and day night. Or day in and day night, that's a new word. That's Greek. Uh, day in, uh, day and night. <laughs> Forgive me. It's been a long week. So night and day, day and night, however you want to say it. The enemy's there and he's accusing us, accusing us, constantly accusing us. But our attorney is Jesus. The judge is our father. Hello? It's, it's a rigged deal. It's done. Rigged in a good way. So, using your spiritual senses to discern between good and evil is a part of the process of getting breakthrough in our lives. It's how we defeat these roots that have caused cycles of defeat. We've got to get to the root. I tell people over and over, and you'll hear this probably a hundred times this year, alone. Think about your thinking. We, if it says in Corinthians 10, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, why? Why is the Lord so concerned with our mind? Because that's the first place it starts. The enemy attacks the mind first and foremost. Do you know witchcraft? is against the mind. That's what witchcraft is. And Galatians says, who bewitched you? Who's, whose witchcraft did you come under and begin to think that all of a sudden now you can perfect yourself by the law again? But that word bewitched literally means whose witchcraft did you come under? So it's the mind. He's after your mind. And if we don't think about our thinking, we're renting space to the enemy right here. It's like, for rent, free, because we're not sharp right now. <laughs> and we've all been there. We've all had moments where, here's your sign. And, yeah, I'm not going there. Um, so, we've got to get into a place, and you have to understand that if you're feeling something, I don't care how much theology you have in your mind, if you're feeling something, it's because there's a lie in your heart that you're believing. You cannot have an emotion without a belief. Period. Right? You cannot have an emotion without a belief. What do you think double-mindedness is? And, and remember, for those of you that went to the conference, we talked about James, and it says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Because he has all the knowledge of God right here, but his heart is against him. Because experientially, he's experienced the opposite and chose to believe in his heart opposite of what the truth is. Some, some of the brightest people I know personally, I mean sharpest theologues in the world, and yet they're intellectual giants. And when you begin to go into the deeper things of God, and his ways in which he interacts with us, they choke. Listen, don't, don't show up here simply to gain knowledge of him. Show up here so that you can encounter him and the truth of who Jesus Christ is goes into your inward part and brings transformation to your life. Because the most powerful thing in the world that you're going to experience... Alright, you two... They, they honestly don't look at each other and, and they end up doing the same thing all the time. I love it. He's after our heart. Is a man thinketh in his heart? So is he. It doesn't say is a man thinketh in his mind. 
If, if we could argue people into the kingdom, there would be a non-believer in the United States. We have some of the sharpest theologians in this nation. I mean, just, they'll have so much scripture memorized, but yet you can't argue people into the kingdom. My dad and I, as an example, we have, we both, we have drastically different styles of evangelism. And, uh, I had, amen. I had not seen him he, out of the mouth of babes. I had not seen my dad for eight years, almost eight years. This August twenty uh, eighth, which is actually my wife's birthday, my cousin's birthday, and my mentor Rich's birthday. And I think there's somebody else I know that is birth, their birthday's on the twenty eighth. So. Does anybody got that interpretation? So, we, I went bowling with him. He's an avid bowler. He bowls like three or four times a week. And uh, so I knew I was, was going to look ridiculous next to him because in 2000, in September of 2009, he bowled a perfect game. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's just like, whatever. I bowl every once in a blue moon. And so we go back to this bowling alley that my mom used to stick me in the nursery of because uh, she was on a bowling league also when I was a little kid. And I was like, when I got by the nursery, I was all twitching. It's not there anymore, thank God. Felt like a little baby prison. And, uh, but this bowling alley, the, the clocks that were there in the 80s are the same clocks on the walls of this bowling alley. It's amazing. It's like going back into time. And... Uh, and we're bowling, and I mean, he's, he, you know, my best score was 127. His worst score was 197, and he's all fired up because he bowled that. I'm going, man, I'd be doing cartwheels if I got 197. And we leave there, and we go to the mall, and we, uh, we go to the Verizon store, and we start talking to a guy. Well, I feel the light of the Lord on this kid, and I know the Lord wants to talk to him. But I'm trying to navigate on how, because my style of evangelism is with the, the gifts of the Spirit, right? And uh, and I know if I start trying to, to go into this normal flow, uh, the warfare is going to get real thick real quick. But before I even got a chance, I asked the guy about his spiritual life. I said, so, so how's your spiritual life? And then um, my dad loves Ray Comfort. Does anybody... Does anybody know who Ray Comfort is? And he likes his style of, of evangelism. And so my dad goes, well, here, let me step in. And I honored him and shut up. So I let, I let him take over. And, uh, and, he, and he did a, a completely different style of evangelism um, with him. And then I, uh, I did some Jehovah Sneaky prophesying, which means this. After my dad got done taking him through the law... And, and showing him that why he needed Jesus, I asked this young man, I said, can I pray for you? And as I laid my hands on him, I began to prophesy in my prayer. But you know what I'm saying? Like, people don't pick it up because I'm not saying I'm prophesying. I'm just like, Lord, I thank you for this young man. I thank you for the, for the leadership on his life. I thank you for how young people come to him and they look to him as a mentor. Lord, I thank you for the teaching gift that you've placed inside of him. And I begin to, I begin to pray the, the prophetic word over his life. 
And, and when I finished, he lit up like a light bulb. He's like, thank you so much. What's your name again? So it, it, it's different styles and, and different pathways, but we need each other. It, he still heard the gospel. It doesn't matter the style, as long as it's done in a spirit of gentleness and love, you're going to plant seeds, right? We've got to learn how to get along with each other. Like this was, I mean, I literally, this was the first time, I wasn't sure, because my dad and I, we don't agree with theology. You know, we have completely different theological views. He's a cessationalist, and I am not. I am what you would call a continuist what y'all are, meaning that everything God started, he didn't quit, and he's still doing. In fact, there's an increase of it. And so, but not one, not one argument came up. Not, 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 my own stepmom unfriended me on Facebook two or three years ago. Because, anybody been unfriended by a family member? I've, I've got at least two family members I've lost now on Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, right? But, my, my own stepmom unfriended me because of, of believing in dreams and visions and healing and deliverance and all of these things. And I wasn't offended, but I can tell you, I'm going someplace with this, so hang in there. So I've never had the, the relationship with my dad I've longed for. I've had tons of healings. He, he holds every tear in every bottle, right? He keeps every tear that you've ever shed. I've probably got 13 gallons with Dan Carpenter's name on it, and, but, I, but I kept praying, and I kept giving, and, and in this process, and listen, there's family members y'all have, there's, there's probably at least one family member in each of the families that are presented here today, where there's this tension, you love your family, and yet there's this dynamic where they believe totally different than you, and, and because of their woundedness, they're not able to interact or connect with you the way your soul the way your heart desires. And so you're trying to figure out how to not lose hope, and you're trying to figure out how to have healthy boundaries in your life. That's one of the toughest things. When, I, when I'm doing ministry with people, especially if it's an emotional or, or physical issue like of abuse, and verbal abuse is brutal. It hurts. You know, the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That was a devil that came up with that. Because I would rather be punched in the face at times than to be hit with physical words from loved ones, right? And so that's why it's so important that we continue to pursue our healing because if we're free of ourselves, we're free of them because then now we're no longer looking to them for our identity which empowers them to tell us who we're not. We're only looking to the Lord Jesus for who we are. That's where we've got to get to because if I'm free of me, then I'm free of you. You can treat me like garbage and all you're going to get out of me is love. That's where we've got to step into where the Spirit of the Lord bears freedom so that we can truly learn what it means to live and move and have our being in Him because we're His offspring. And so, uh, I, I had this amazing day that I'm riding with my dad and he starts sharing his heart with me about things that he'd gone through, losing his brother, losing... I'm in the car. I'm in the car with him. And and I realized, oh my word, my dad's a burden bearer. I mean, I knew I had the gift of burden bearing on my mom's side, but like, wow. And I locked into my dad, spirit to spirit, and I felt the weight 
of what he was living under. And I almost lost it. Like, literally, I'm like, <sighs> my dad's looking at me. He's tearing up. He doesn't know why he's tearing up. And I'm, and I'm about to come unglued because I can feel the, the yoke on him, the burdens that he's carrying from, from going through all of this stuff. And I look over at him, and he's like, what, what, what's wrong? And he's jacked up, and I'm jacked up. We're crying, you know, he's driving straight. And, and I'm like, and, I'm like, and I managed to get some words, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know how you're living under this. I said, you're a burden bearer. And I said, I don't know how you're living under these burdens. And it finally began to sink into the spirit, and he had language for it. He goes, well, well now you, you, know, you know what I've went through. He caught that. He understood. I knew what he went through. And I couldn't carry that load for my dad. I had to give it back to the Lord. It would have crushed me. I honestly don't know how he's like living under that weight. And it was normal to him. See, y'all, we get around people because of the freedom that we have, right? And then all of a sudden, we bump into them in the spirit, if you will. And you begin to discern them and feel the weight of which they're walking under, and you begin to realize why Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burdens are light. They're carrying so much. As Becky says, we're not packed sheep. We're not supposed to be packed sheep, but yet we, we find ourselves trying to carry the lives of others when we can't hardly carry our own. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm like I feel the load in which he's walking under. And, I, and, it, and it, it, man, it messed me up. And then later that day, that evening when, when my dad dropped me off after spending the day with him, he reached over and, and when he went to give me a hug, he broke. There, there are, it's all about relationships, y'all. All of it. That what matters in this life, it's not how big our house is, how great of a Jeep you drive, in Jesus' name. And, uh, or, you catch that? Sorry, I just snorted, that's messed up. Um, <laughs> but all, we can have all these things, and yet be so broken inside, because we've missed the kingdom. Jesus said, it's not in the abundance of things you possess. That's not where life is, right? He says, what is it, what is a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Our lives aren't out there. It's inside out. We have to be inwardly governed because Christ is in us. The kingdom of heaven is in us because his spirit is in us. And if we, if we begin to live from the outside in, that means our soul is ruling over us. Now we're giving in to the flesh because we begin to have strongholds of what we think we should have. And we begin to open up for bitterness and envy and jealousy and all of these things that we were freed of. And you can begin to have desires and you lose hope and your heart gets sick and the next thing you know, you begin to get envy towards others because all of a sudden, it, it says we're to, when we're to bear one another's burdens, right? We're supposed to walk along each other and when those, you know, we're supposed to uh, celebrate with others that, that get victories and we're supposed to walk alongside them. We're supposed to celebrate the kingdom. We're supposed to celebrate life. But if your heart is, is sick because you've given your hope away, 
then instead of celebrating someone else's breakthrough, you're going to have bitter envy towards it. And then we open up the selfish ambition in the midst of that. So we've got to use our spiritual senses. We've got to be able to discern what's going on in our hearts. It says that the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord and he searches the inmost parts of our being. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Bob Jones, the old prophet Bob Jones that passed away, had one of his favorite sayings is, you're dull. You don't understand that, you're dull. I mean, could have had a little more cooth on when he said it, but it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the, what are they unskilled in? In the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, if you remember in context, this had a lot to do with Melchizedek. Now, regardless of the argument of who actually wrote the book of Hebrews, because some think Luke did, some think Paul did, this we know. If the Hebrews had been a little sharper, we would have understood by the word, the mystery of Melchizedek. Because I do not believe Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. I believe he, he, I don't believe Melchizedek was Jesus. And I know that's one of the beliefs. But I personally don't believe that was him. The angel of the Lord, I believe, was a pre-incarnate Christ. That was, that was the Lord. There's too many scriptures that show that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. And it was the word of the Lord. And you always see the word of the Lord coming. Well, who is that? Jesus is the word, right? And he had not put on human flesh yet. So the word of the Lord would be sent to them. You even see scripture where the angel of the Lord says, the Lord on the earth says to the Lord in heaven. That's the issue of the word of God and the Father, right? You hanging in there with me? Many times our hearts are not set on pilgrim or pilgrimage, and we get our soul entangled into the affections and cares of this world. And we're deceived into believing God has promised us certain things through our soulish desires. And soulish prophecy, by the way, one of the ways we fall into soulish prophecy is not recognizing the issue of burden bearing. And we lock into the person naturally as a burden bearer. And you discern their soul. And if you're not careful, you'll prophesy the desires of their soul and it not be revelation. That soul is prophecy. Here's an example. Nathan the prophet shows up and David wants to build the temple of the Lord. And Nathan says, do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. Right? But then it says later that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And what happened? It was not God's will for David to build the temple. Solomon built it. And so Nathan spoke presumptuously by, by feeling David's heart and, and, and giving him a soulless prophecy. 
And guess what? There are many people in the body of Christ today that have had words spoken over their life, but they didn't really test the word. Even Corinthians says, let two or three prophets speak, and then you judge what they're saying. Why? Because the Lord knows that we're still in progress and that we can speak presumptuously. We can mix things up, and if you don't test it, then you can grab a hold of a word where they simply just prophesied your own desires right back to you. So, of course, it sounds good because you already desire it. And then all of a sudden, now it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And there's some people that are holding on to soulless prophecy, and their heart has grown sick, and it's never going to happen because it's not the will of the Lord. It is so important that we discern between spirit and soul, and that we understand what revelation is versus simple soulish desire. So, for me, I know it's God's heart for reconciliation, for a good relationship with my dad. So I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed for years, and I've prayed. You know, the, the Greek word for deferred means to postpone or defer or to put off. Literally, another definition of that in the, the Thayer's Greek lexicon, to throw or toss up. In other words, we get into a place in our lives where we've been praying and tearing and waiting for a breakthrough. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And all of a sudden we finally take our, our, we take our hope and we defer it. <laughs> I'm tired of this and I'm not doing it anymore. And we go. And then that root begins to manifest in your life because now you lose your ability to have hope in anything. That's what that word deferred means. It means literally you take your hope and you throw it away. You cast it off. And so many times, because there's a process of the breaking of our soul by our spirit, by the Lord's spirit, that we begin to, we begin to get frustrated because we're so used to a culture that can stand in front of a microwave and get ticked off because you've got to wait a minute and a half for your cup, your cup of coffee to warm up. Right? How many, how many people have ever been sitting in front of a microwave with the popcorn in there and you're impatient over a three-minute bag of popcorn instead of going, Lord, thank you for electricity. Thank you for my microwave. Thank you that I don't have to go down, or go outside, cut a tree down, start a fire, put a pan over there, put oil in there, and, and 45 minutes later, I've got a bag of popcorn. But it's because this is what we know. This is what we've grown used to. You don't go outside and crank your car up, the front of your engine up, hand crank it anymore, right? We've left Barney Rubble in the Stone Ages. I mean, you, you can, you can, I've watched Chris start his truck with a key. Fires right up. Think about this. But guess what? Whether you're believing truth or a lie, your perception of reality affects you. Right? You'll know the truth. That word truth means reality. Right? We've talked about that more than once. And so the enemy's constantly trying by your thoughts to twist your perspective of reality. And if, and if you don't think about your thinking, you're going to rent space to the enemy through accusation, through guilt, through condemnation, and you will want to throw your hope off. But I, I know right now there are people in this room who were prophesied the desires of their heart over things, their own desires, their soul's desires, and, and they believed 
the word, they believed it to be a word of the Lord, and they tarried, and they tarried, and they tarried until they actually found out it wasn't the word of the Lord. And it hurt them dearly. It hurt them dearly. We've all had words that we thought was God, and then we've had words from God that we didn't want it to be God. Right? I fought tooth and nail over shepherding. I was like, man, I... I'll do our tenant ministry. I'll do deliverance ministry. I'll do the school. I love that stuff. But, you know, I'm, that's not who I am. Yep. And, and I mean, it, it took, the Lord kept chipping away at me with the prophetic word from those close by me. Sometimes our will is not His will, right? That's why it says, take up your cross daily. If we did all the dying we were going to do when we said amen and, and put our trust in the Lord, there wouldn't be a, a willful choice every day to say, not my will, but your will. Even Jesus submitted his will. It says even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And he was sinless. But yet there's this issue of obedience that's learned. And there is a suffering. What is the suffering? It's keeping our souls submitted. So the flesh can't raise up. So, are you ready to recover your hope? I can tell you that this, this trip home this week for me personally, though it was tough with my uncle, you know, fighting cancer and being on hospice, and I was able to minister with my mom and, 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 and build a relationship with my dad. And where there was reconciliation and there was healing and it, it was a tree of life to me. It was a tree of life to me. Becky goes, Becky picked me up from the airport because Lisa left yesterday to go for a surprise birthday party in Houston. She gets back tonight. And Becky's looking at me. Uh, she picked me up from the airport and I'd been up since 5 a.m. and it was about, I don't know, noon or something. And, uh, Stopped and got a bite to eat. She's looking at me. She goes, Justin, you're different. And she's look, look, staring at me and discerning me. And she goes, I asked the Lord, what is it? And, she, and the Lord said, it's wholeness. He said it was wholeness because there was a place that I, I was tearing and I was holding out hope for a better relationship with my dad. But yet willing that if it never changed as far as how close we were, that I could still be okay with it because Jesus completes me. But yet he still gave me that desire to where there was a bonding with my dad that I, that, that I longed for. You never stop wanting your parents. You all know that. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. We never stop wanting our family. And, and it became a tree of life. So delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4 When our desire is the desire of all the nations, then the Lord's justified to answer our prayers because His desires have become ours. See, when we bond with the Father, as we're bonding with the Lord in sonship and daughtership, as we're bonding with Him, there's a transformation that takes place 
our will becomes His will. We, we become one with Him. And, and there's this mystery of oneness. Paul talked about it. He talked about the issue with the man and the woman and, and marriage and how they become one. But he says, I speak of the mystery of Christ. So daily we're, we're, we're interacting with the Godhead by the Holy Spirit and we're becoming one with the Lord. And there's this oneness that begins to take place. And that's when true transformation hits. That's when we begin to trust Him more. And to the degree that you trust Him, that's the true measure of how surrendered you are. And we're all growing up in Him into the full stature of the Son of God, right? The, to maturity, to manhood of what Ephesians talks about. We're growing up in Christ and we're being transformed into His image. If you want to know what God's will is, it's for you to look like Jesus, period. Amen. That's God's will. Amen. And that's what you're going to take into eternity when you leave this earth. You're not taking your gifts. The gifts of the Spirit will not be needed in heaven. The gifts of the Spirit are to destroy the works of evil on this earth. It's so that we can see heaven invade this earth. The Greek word for heart is cardia. Cardia. The heart, inner life, intention. Literally the heart or mind or character, inner self, will, intention or the center. The NAS exhaustive coordinates uh, says heart, hearts, hearts, mind, quick or spirit. Many times you'll see the word heart Translated for spirit, interchangeable. Here's an example, 1 Peter 3, 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person. See, Peter would say the hidden person, where Paul would say the inner man. But they're both speaking of the same thing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. May He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, thoughts of hope to give you a future, to give you an expected end, that He's for us and not against us. We live day in and day out believing the lie that, that, that God's really not as good as He says He is. I remember several months ago, the Lord spoke to me extremely clearly and, and, and he told me a word about Bill Johnson. He said, Bill Johnson operates in the miraculous realm because of his revelation of my goodness. And you can take that to the bank. It's because of the revelation of the goodness of God that, that Bill Johnson has. That's what allows him to operate on that level and to see the signs and wonders. See, too many times we've been corrupted by bad theology we believe that God gave the person cancer to teach him a lesson. Or we think if we missed a tithe last week that he's going to take it out on us. Come on. It's getting awful quiet in here. It's the goodness of God that draws man to repentance. It's in those moments when we know that we've fallen so short and then He comes in there and says, come here. 
See, the parable, the parable of what we call the prodigal son, it's not called the parable of the prodigal son. We've called that. Go look at the scripture. That is a revelation of the father's heart. He sees his son afar off. Where was the where was the father? He was in the window. He was in the window. Why? Because he had faith that his son would return home. And seeing him afar off, he ran out there. He put the robe on him. He put the ring on him. So if you know people in your life that have that have backslid and became a prodigal, guess what? What is the Father's heart for them? He's in the window. He's waiting. And, I, and the Holy Spirit said one day, I never left that window. That's the picture of His heart. He doesn't take delight in the destruction of the wicked, but that they would repent. That's an Ezekiel for crying out loud. He didn't have a midlife crisis and all of a sudden become nice. Jesus wasn't holding us. He wasn't keeping, keeping us from an angry Father. It says that God in Christ was reconciling us back to Himself. When He went into the garden after the fall, what happened? The Father goes, where are you? Where are you? He went and He, He's the one that fixed the relationship. He's the one that came back. He's the one that pursued us. So no matter where you are in this life, He is the one pursuing you. No matter what. No matter how much of a stinker you may act like at times, He's pursuing you. And He's never going to quit pursuing you. And not only was it the goodness of God that led us to repentance to get us to trust Him, it's the goodness of God that keeps us daily being transformed into the image of Jesus. It's His goodness. And we need a greater revelation of His goodness. I think a lot of us have an understanding of the severity of God. Right? We, we understand the severity of God to some degree. But, but we also need to understand a greater revelation of His goodness. Because we bought into the lies that, the, that God's not that good. We listen to the accusations of the enemy. Do you really think He's going to do that for you? Do you know what you did last week? Don't throw your hope away. Don't, don't stop pursuing the breakthroughs. It says, if God before you, who can be... I translate it, if God is for me, who cares who's against me? Because you and God are a majority. Period. It's that simple. Well, Father, I just thank You for Your love. I thank You for Your goodness. Lord, I thank You that Regardless of we've thrown hope out, Lord, in areas of our life, right now we stand our ground and we choose to pick hope back up. We choose to pick hope up again. Because one of your names is you are the God of hope. You are the God of hope. Lord, I thank you that, that you're the desire of the nations, Lord. And I ask that, that our number one desire of our, of our beings would be for you, first and foremost. And Lord, we lay all of our desires at your feet. And I just ask right now, Lord, that you would begin to touch the people here. That you would begin to minister to their hearts, Lord. 
Holy Spirit, I thank you for highlighting areas of their hearts right now where they've deferred their hope, where they've just thrown it out because they didn't think it was going to happen, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for areas of people's hearts right now where they may have been holding on to hope for something and recognized it wasn't you because you had something even better. Lord, that you would heal those places of sickness in the soul, Lord. That you would heal those places. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would infuse them with hope because you are the God of hope. Lord, right now, I break depression in the name of Jesus right now. And I say to depression, you have no place in this house. Pack up and move out in Jesus' name. I break the accusations of defeat right now in the name of Jesus. And I command confusion and double-mindedness to lift off of the minds of the people right now in Jesus' name. Confusion and double-mindedness have no place in the minds of the sons and daughters of the King because we've been given your mind. So, Lord, I thank you for breakthrough in this moment. I thank you, Lord, that we are prisoners of hope. That's what your word says, that we are prisoners of hope and that we do not have to cast off hope. But we can double down on it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.